welcome in to another new episode of the Codings Pro interview series. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, and I'm a staff writer with Codings Pro Magazine. Today, I'm joined by Matt Dabara, owner of Dabara Masonry and founder of The Undercover Contractor. In those roles, Matt not only runs his own company, but he also works to help the general public try and figure out which contractors are legitimate and which maybe not so much. He's also a good resource for contractors in that same vein because of course, he can provide tips on how contractors can distinguish themselves in this field, particularly from a marketing perspective and getting out the message of their legitimacy to a wider audience. Matt, I think a good place to start, if you could um, just introduce yourself and tell people a little bit about your career and what you do with Jabara Masonry and the Undercover Contractor. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Ben, for having me. I'm really, uh, really excited. So, so um, you know, for me, my family's been doing construction for four generations. We, we trace it back to, to Italy, um, and then they came over here to America. And so it's really, it's really in, in, in my blood and in my lineage, this, uh, you know, a lot of commercial, a little bit of residential, um, but this is, this is what we do. Um, I mean, my, my first day on the job, I was nine years old. You know, my, my dad begged, begged my mom to take me to work and, and long story short, I had too much energy. And so finally she was like, you know, she's like, fine, take them. So, you know, that, that, that's where I started. And I, I grew up in this industry. It's really most of what most, if not all of what I know. Um, and I was fortunate enough to see it on, on different scales, you know, in the early days it was residential and then we grew into commercial. And then we eventually even grew into prevailing wage and government work. And, you know, throughout the years, I've been fortunate enough to interact with, with it on almost every scale, you know, from, from, you know, nine figure projects all the way down to small residential jobs. Um, and, and the undercover contractor was really about me saying, well, how can I help, uh, you know, different basically contractors and homeowners in the space kind of navigate the new waters, which are how do you tell the good from the bad or the what I consider the ethical versus the non-ethical? I, I wouldn't say any contractor is bad, but, um, you know, and that was really the, the start and the spawn of, of the undercover contractor. So in that capacity, what are some of the ways that a contractor can potentially, I suppose, make himself stand out? I think you have a good point about not making anyone out to be bad, but how can a contractor potentially take some steps that improves their perceived legitimacy for a potential job? And I should mention that for us at Codings Pro, we're talking predominantly about uh, commercial and industrial jobs, less residential, and of course, uh, obviously, contractors that apply coatings, but also SPF, they work with concrete substrates, steel, roofs. How can contractors in this field potentially use some of the lessons that you've learned with the undercover contractor? Yeah, it's, you know, I, I spend my nights and weekends and vacations thinking about this topic. Uh, so I'm a little bit of a weird guy, but it comes in handy. It comes in handy more here than cocktail parties, put it that way. <laughs> but um, yeah, so, you know, it, it's really like this. Most commercial contractors, like, for example, we were we were guilty of this for a long time. You, you know, you, you get so much business through general contractors and through referral and word of mouth because the project sizes are bigger and it's so you know, there's so much paperwork and pre-qual involved that um, it's so easy and convenient that once you kind of latch on to the right relationship, whether it be a general contractor or an owner's rep or an architect, whoever's, you know, generating the work for you or with you, 
um, it's so easy and convenient to hold that. And, and what's, what's fascinating is that, um, and I actually did this with, with somebody I know in the business, was we were Googling and looking at different websites, and I was able to guess the revenues of some of these companies and, and be startling, really startlingly close. Um, and I was able to do it because a lot of commercial contractors forget some of the, the principles or, or they're not at the, the front of their mind of, of what other people who don't know them see and might think. So that's your website. It's your specialties. It's the easiest way to, to kind of position yourself as a, as a commercial contractor successfully um, in, in terms of maximization. So I, I think that's a big one, right? There's the, the difference between having enough business and maximizing the business. You don't know the customers that you could have had. And, and, and I paused there intentionally, right? The customers that you could have had, the relationships that you could have had, the people who didn't know you that went online and didn't see you come up in the search or saw your website, but thought, oh, I don't know, you know, the pictures aren't updated. I don't really know their services. And so we, I emphasize the, the brand and how things look from a genuine outside perspective. That's the easiest way to kind of think about how to maximize, um, you know, your business because I, I I've seen it. it, it it's fascinating. There's a, a company, a good friend of mine, he owns a, a very big commercial. Uh, they actually do coatings and they do some masonry and concrete as well. So they install the substrate and the coatings, the waterproofing coatings. And, um, you know, he, he did some of these upgrades and he was amazed at how many new inquiries of architects and engineers and relationships came in because he updated his website. He refined his branding. He refined his, you know, who his ideal client was, even though he already had a, a, a what he considered to be, and, and I do too, a successful business. And so it's really thinking about what would somebody who doesn't know you think about you and how would that person find you if you weren't relying on word of mouth or the relationships of other general contractors? So what's some of the feedback that you get when you mention this to the general public, people that are looking for contractors? Because as I mentioned leading off, we're sort of spinning this the other way with regards to how our contractors can best position themselves. What type of, I guess, mistakes are they potentially making on the front end? And what sort of questions or analysis do they have when you're giving them this type of advice about looking for the right contractor. Are you referring to if I'm talking to like architects or engineers or or that audience to find contractors or, or the contractors themselves? I'm talking about the audience that's looking to find contractors. Yeah, I mean, they're, I, I think they're shocked at how many uh, really good contractors don't have, you know, really updated websites or, or are hard to find online. I think that's that's a fascinating thing. I mean, there's there's so many you know, here in Los Angeles, for example, I mean, I know so many good commercial contractors that you, you'd struggle to find any online presence whatsoever. And they have massive crews, 200, 300, 500, and you can't even like, you, you, you wouldn't even know they existed. And so I think that's one of the fascinating things on the public side is they're like, how does this person who has, you know, 450 employees, like, uh, I didn't, you know, I can't even find them online. Um, and it's because, you know, I understand how the business works on the back end and where their relationships come from and how they secure new work. What's some of the contract language that uh, that these, I suppose, contractors should put out there? Because I know one of the big questions, it all comes down to how reputable these things are. What are some of the types of language that you can throw out there, be it on a website or any other marketing platform that you have to 
increase the legitimacy of your push? Yeah, I think I think there's two parts to that, right? The the first one is to understand like how important it is to have a have a presence because imagine you're a general contractor and you're on this huge project and you've got a coatings contractor right now and they stop showing up or they screw you over or whatever, right? Something happens. That general contractor goes to their network and says, "Hey, who do you know?" and you know starts asking around, "Who, who do you know that can do this job?" Well, if they don't find a resource right away, the next thing they're going to do is go online. So I think you know number one, reemphasizing how important it is to have an online presence even if you have a successful business, um, because I do think that commercial construction as a whole is gonna start to, in the next, I would say two to three years, really start relying on, on the online presence to find new relationships, especially where there's labor shortages and there's, there's a plethora of work, like the relationships are shifting, meaning there, you might've had a relationship with someone for many, many years, and all of a sudden you can't tend to their work because you don't have the manpower or because you're booked out. So that person is going to search for someone else. So you want to capture that in terms of what to put on the website or marketing materials. It starts actually kind of a step before that, which is who is your ideal client? Who do you like to work for and what type of job is that? And I think that's a really good exercise for any commercial contractor to do. And it's, it's good to do. I mean, we do it annually. So we, we take a look and we say, okay, we look at all the jobs we did this year. We say, what were, what were the easiest to sell? What were the, you know, the best relationships that we enjoyed doing? And frankly, what were the most profitable and easiest to fulfill? Because sometimes those two things don't align. It can be very hard to sell and easy to fulfill or very hard to fulfill, meaning do the work, but very easy to sell. And so we look for something that checks all the boxes in that matrix. So if you go through and you find out what projects, there might be a specific coding application or a specific, you know, type of, of industry subset that you have that that you really want to go after um, that's the kind of thing that's the kind of thing that sets the the groundwork or the foundation for your marketing materials upgrading your website because um, then you could say we specialize in this what does that mean to the outside world it means hey you're raising your hand and saying if you happen to have this type of work we really want it and it changes businesses because you know I've, I've done this with a lot of commercial contractors we'll, we'll, we'll talk about kind of ranking their projects and it's, it's not a very fun exercise, but you'd be amazed at the results once you take your projects and you rank them in terms of, you know, how easy was the relationship, how easy was it to do the work, how easy was it to sell. I mean, you, you find these patterns that are like, well, okay, what do, what do you think we should be going after? And it's like right there in front of you glaring. It's like, well, this type of work looks really, you know, really attractive. It fits all four of these criteria. So we spent a lot of this podcast talking about sort of the introductory stages i.e. how contractors can position themselves to clients, the general public, what have you, with regards to obviously their websites, but overall just general marketing strategies. Let's go a little bit further into the process. Let's assume that the introduction has been made. Maybe there's been communication between the contractor and whoever the potential client is, and they're tossing some of these ideas around and of course the client is likely talking to other contractors as well what are some of the more in-depth communication strategies as you try and secure a project from a contractor's perspective what are some of the expectations they should try to set what are some of the specifics that they should try and write into a deal basically how should a contractor try and distinguish themselves not just at the introduction but after the communication is in process when they're actually trying to um land a deal with a given client 
Oh, I love this. This is my favorite part. Um, so let, let's assume you've got, you know, you've got your ideal client uh, avatar, as we call it, figured out. You've got, got some good client attraction stuff out there. Um, and now you're engaging in the relationship, to your point. So a um, couple of things. Number one, I always emphasize that you want to be transparent about your intentions. So like at the bar masonry, we say our intention is to earn your business. But not only that, our intention is to have a relationship with you. So we have a we have a philosophy here. We'd rather go deep than wide. What do I mean by that? I mean that, you know, our ability to be a great uh, uh, commercial contractor relies on our ability to have deep, deep, strong relationships. So I would rather work with five or seven contractors and do a portfolio, a major amount of their business than I would work with 20 or 30 and do a small margin because I can't do, I can't kind of make exceptions. I can't learn how they bill. I can't learn how their site super manages the job. I can't understand all of these things, you know, if I don't have that relationship. I'll give you an example. In the commercial world, it's it's common where there's scheduling or delays, just how important this is. Um, and you know, site supers typically want to see manpower on the job sites. When we have relationships, we we can say, hey, look, I can't get there, you know, tomorrow. But what I can do is I can put twice as many people there the following day. Well, if you have that relationship and that trust, they're okay with doing that. But if it's a new relationship, they might might not be so stating your intention super important um having a company philosophy of the relationship is so crucial i mean that's what we do we we look for relationships that are worth going all in on and then we go all in so you know that's a uh, uh, superior service that's going to their office to go over bids that's plenty of job walks um and not you know not trying to go kind of surface level with a lot of different people but really focusing on that relationship and in terms of tangible specifics you really want a good, uh, you want a good pitch deck. You want a good bid packet. And what do I mean by good? Something that represents your company's history, what you stand for, similar work that you've done. We like to tailor our references. So if it's a certain type of client, we tailor that. If it's a little bit more production based, we'll show production work. If it's a little bit more, more uh, high end, we'll show high end versus a lot of companies will do blanket references. So they'll just show a portfolio. Here's all the work we did. We don't do that. We look at it and say, if the relationship is worth going deep for, we're gonna kind of cater and craft everything to that unique client. Um, and that, it just means, you know, really understanding what's important to them. This sounds really, really silly, but uh, asking them, hey, what is most important to you? And in, in, if we were to work together, what would be most important to you? And they'll tell you, I mean, they'll literally tell you how to, how to, how to secure the deal. They'll say, look, you know, this last contractor did X, Y, Z, like, you know, we can't have that. It might be, you know, uh, a certain cleanliness on the job that's above normal kind of normal standards. It might be a certain type of communication. It might be a, a hesitancy towards change orders. Um, but if you find that one thing that makes them click and you can do it as simply as asking them, that it honestly is one of the biggest intangibles that we found in business. One of the things that I found when I write these case studies is the holy grail for many of our contractors is developing the type of relationship with a client, with a GC, whoever it is, that leads to repeat business. And clearly, the first step towards that is you go out, you land this first gig with the strategies we've been talking about, and hopefully you do a good job. And of course, you build a reputation and the client slash GC trusts you. And then that leads to more business in the future. In some situations, though, and I'm sure you know this from running your own company, it's not really that linear. Either the client slash GC doesn't want to immediately commit to one 
uh, given contractor, maybe there's a few more years in between jobs before they're ready to potentially hire again. So let's look at this sort of down the road. Let's assume that a contractor's he's gotten a job, they've executed it fairly well, and now you're trying to maintain that relationship going forward. How critical is that? What are some of the things that they can do to sort of, you know, beyond the initial job, just general outreach that even if there isn't a job that's out for bed right now, what are some of the things that they can do to sort of uh, keep their business on the mind of the client, the GC, whoever it is, so that they're in position to uh, potentially still build trust with the end user, even if a job isn't going on at this given moment. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, back to the ideal kind of, you know, client avatar, if you will, the ideal client avatar is one that has lots of repeat work. So, you know, part of that, I just want to fill in something I might have glazed over. Part of that is looking at how much of work they do, because that dictates how deep you can go on that relationship. But let's assume to your point that, that, you know, they, they, you know, have a gap in job or jobs or whatever the case may be. One of the tricks we've found is to, uh, to be their, their, their kind of, you almost want to be an extension of their business. That's, that's how we frame it in, in our company. And so that looks like helping them out in the bidding phase. So what one of the biggest pain points we find for architects, engineers, or general contractors is kind of the, the design bidding. It, it's well before you typically would normally get involved. And so we offer that up. I, you know, we'll go to general contractors or architects we know and we'll say, hey, look, when you're specking these products or, you know, when you're designing this, not, not just, you know, not because you don't know what you're doing because you're an expert, you do, but I'd be happy to look this over for you. You know, my team will be happy to review your specs if there's anything that, you know, you want us to double check or if there's anything you want us to see. Or in the general contracting space, because you've done the exercise we mentioned, which is determining if you want the relationship, what you can do is you can assist them on the front end bidding. Because typically a general contractor will bid the whole job, you know, to a, a, an entity, whether it's an owner's rep, or, and, and they'll, they'll throw a number out before involving you because they don't necessarily always want to waste your time. And so being a resource um, on that end is huge. We've had, to give you an idea, we've had a, a fair amount of, uh, I've done it with architects, engineers, general contractors, owner's reps. We've actually gone to the meetings before the general contractor was even awarded the job and, and gone on there with job walks as an extension of them and help point out discrepancies. I mean, we've helped so many entities land huge projects because we would be there as a specialist and say, you know, obviously to the side, we'd say to whatever entity we're trying to help and say, hey, you know, this, this doesn't work in the plans or should we offer this solution as a cost saving solution? And by doing that, that company or that entity looks and appears so much more knowledgeable. They're bringing so much to the table. And so being a resource in that area in particular I mean, it's it's invaluable. And then to your point too, keeping in touch um, is important, checking in. But uh, I would say that's the biggest lever pull that we found in helping to nurture a longstanding relationship when there's not tons of projects just being handed over. We're talking now with Matt Devara, owner of Devara Masonry and founder of The Undercover Contractor. Matt, before we wrap up, any last words of advice, any subjects we haven't covered as it pertains to industrial and commercial, primarily coatings contractors, any lessons learned from your own experience for that matter that we haven't discussed that that maybe you want to use this platform to get out? Yeah, I think the biggest, you know, the biggest takeaway I'm a, I'm a huge proponent of is just asking ourselves how high is high. And what I mean by that is 
there are so many, if you're in commercial construction right now, it's hard not to be busy. But the biggest question I'm a proponent of, I'm really advocating for is asking ourselves, well, how good is good? This is an awesome time to foster new relationships and to, to enter into kind of new partnerships and, and reach margins that you didn't even, or might not have dreamed even possible. And so it, it's a phenomenal time as the deck is being shuffled to go out there, get new relationships, um, and really grow your business. I mean, we're finding that so many uh, commercial contractors are, are finding the time and space to do this. And it's just, I mean, you know, I can't even tell you the, the feedback we're getting in terms of that. Matt, before we sign off, uh, is there a website you want to toss out or any other resource for be it to borrow masonry, the undercover contractor? Basically, for any of our listeners, how can they get in touch with you or any of your groups? Basically, how can they get more information? Yeah, I think, you know, if, if you ever want to talk about if anybody listening wants to ever talk about any of this stuff, I, I love it. I'm extremely passionate about it. Uh, my email is Matt D at the undercover contractor. That's M A T T D as in Delta. Um, or they can look up if they want a company that can do all this for them um, in terms of the digital strategies and marketing strategies. The contractor consultants is a great company that that can take care of all of this for them turnkey. So thank you, Ben. Awesome. Thank you. And folks, that's where we will leave things on today's episode. And if you want more information on our end of things, of course, you can check out codingspromag.com for all sorts of news related to the protective coatings industry. With that, this is where we break. For Matt Tabara, I'm Ben Dubose. Thanks as always for listening, and please come back soon for another new podcast from the Codings Pro interview series. This message comes to you from Codings Pro Magazine, the official media publication for Codings Plus. Join us for this exciting final year of Codings Plus, happening from December 13 to 16, 2021. Codings Plus is a jam-packed event with expert-led protective, marine, and industrial coatings programming, as well as technical sessions and workshops focused on surface preparation, application, coating formulation, testing, inspection, and green coating solutions. Visit sspc.org slash codings 2021 for more information. We can't wait to see you there.